Hello everyone and welcome to the Marseille View. I'm Stefan and I'll be hosting the show tonight. Um, it's good to be back. Um, I hope every, everyone's doing well. hope all our listeners are doing well, staying safe and staying healthy in these quite strange and difficult times. Um, it's been quite a long time since we've last got some content out there. And understandably, because the coronavirus outbreak, there's been a pause in action in Ligue 1, so we've not been able to put anything out. However, there's been quite a few things happening outside of the game, off the field, so we've got quite a packed schedule for tonight's show. Um, tonight, we're going to be discussing the future of the Ligue 1 season. We'll be looking at some of the news stories, such as around TV rights, transfer links, and we'll also be paying tribute to two former OM legends, Papa Diouf and Michel Hidalgo, who sadly passed away recently. So tonight I'm joined by three de- three guests, sorry. Um, we've got a usual regular Ben. How are you, Ben? Hi, guys. Uh, good, you know, just, just coping. I mean, um, it's strange seeing London at a standstill, but it's for the best. And um, yeah, it's just, it's just, it'd be okay, I think, if football was still on, but going uh, going slowly crazy with the lack of action. Crazy, yeah. Okay, um, we've also got Ed returning as well after a few months, so we've not had Ed on for a while. How are you doing, Ed? I'm good, thanks, Steph. How are you? Yeah, yeah, good. And how are you finding the lack of football action to to be, you know, concentrating on, keep, keep us distracted? Um, depressing. I tried to dab into a bit of Belarusian Premier League, which was <laughs> a nice... Which was an eyesore, to be honest. Um, Is the Belarusian league still running then? Yeah, it's still league. I mean, uh, so many good teams out there. Dynamo Minsk, Bati Borisov, Slamoshi, Slutsky. You know, they're all top teams who should be in the Champions League. But, you know, a bit of esports, a bit of uh, e-racing, e-horse racing. So, I'm keeping busy, plus work at uni. So, yeah, it's, it's business as usual, really. Okay, and then finally, we've also got... Um, a new guest, sorry, so it's the first appearance from Hadi, who's dialing in all the way from Montreal, Montreal sorry. Um, Hadi, welcome to the show, welcome to the Marseille View, how are you? I'm fine, uh, you guys, thanks a lot for having me. Thank you. Um, so some of our listeners that may be familiar with Hadi, he's, he's on another Marseille podcast, um, Fosiana Montreal, um, do check it out if you get a chance. Now, just as soon as it's your first time on the show, Hadi, just thought it'd be good if maybe you could say a couple of words about yourself, about what your relationship is with Marseille, how you became a OM fan, yeah? Yes, of course. I'm born in Lebanon, uh, to be honest, and uh, uh, in Beirut, uh, I'm born in 1982, so I'm a bit uh, I'm a bit old, like people say. Uh, so uh, back in the days when I started really following uh, football, um, uh, you know, the, the best team out there, uh, it, was in, it was in the beginning of the 90s, uh, and the best team, uh, the, fr- the best French-speaking team was Marseille, you know, in, a, um, you know, the uh, Tapi era and, uh, you know, with the, uh, with the, the, the Champions League uh, in 91 and in 93. Uh, so that's why, uh, you know, I started following Marseille in, in Lebanon. And uh, I've been a fan since then. So every year I used to uh, to watch all the games, uh, uh, miss a lot of things uh, in in Lebanon uh, in order to in order to watch the games. Uh, all my friends knew how crazy I was in love with the, with that club. And uh, then I moved to Montreal in 2001. And even if here so football is not. Uh, 
uh, League One is not really uh, broadcasted. Uh, it's very hard oh, to really? find games here. Yeah, it's very, very hard to find games here, uh, especially in the beginning of the 2000s. It was very, very hard. So I had to stream to find streams online. And back then it wasn't as easy as it is right now. Uh, but I was able to watch, like, I would say 99.9% of the games because even with the jet lag, I used to take off from work or, you know, miss some courses at the university uh, just to be able to watch uh, Marseille's game. And uh, yeah, so uh, I'm a big, big fan. I went to the Velodrome for the first time uh, in 2017 uh, and it was, I cried. I cried like a baby. My wife was filming me and uh, she was like laughing and I was crying like a baby and it was very, very emotional for me. Brilliant. Yeah, I know, I know what it feels like the first because it took me a long time to get there and the first time I got there I was just kind of frozen, you know, by the experience. So um, it's is, it is an amazing thing and especially if you've been waiting for so long. Um, I'm actually quite surprised that I, I thought maybe in Montreal there would be a bit of a kind of expat community um, and maybe because of that there'd be a, a lot of interest in, in French football but... Um, I think there is a there is an OM Nation group, is there not in Montreal? Uh, here in Montreal, the the problem is uh, a lot of people like the Premier League, and and they're even if the most of them are French, there's a lot of French speaking people and a lot of French people here. Um, the League One is um, the rights of uh, the TV rights of the League One is is uh, uh, is uh, was was taken by uh, Bean Sports, and Bean Sports here it's only um, you get only one channel. Uh, so you don't have like in Europe uh, where you have like 10 channels or anything uh, if you get it online or anything here you only have one channel so every time they have to choose a game and since they have the Serie A games too and the the, the La Liga games so most of the time they just ditch French soccer and they just choose another another game so yeah so that's why it's very hard, uh, hard. but you know you always can find a streaming unfortunately uh, you don't have another choice but to find uh, to find a streaming you also have uh, the French channel T- uh, TV5 uh, that has here one match uh, a week. Uh, that's Saturday morning. So uh, Saturday morning, usually it's Saturday uh, uh, around uh, five or six ish uh, in, in France. There, uh, where the the game is is broadcast is here. So you only have those two choices, and if not, by you you'll have to go and, and find a streaming gear. Okay, so um, I think we'll get started with the podcast tonight. Um, so we've got a few topics, as I said, that we're going to go through. Um, firstly, just thinking about the Ligue 1 season and the future of the season, actually. So, obviously, France has been in lockdown, I think, for about a month now, I believe, for a good few weeks. Um, they've been in lockdown before the UK, um, and there's been no football. There's not really any indication, as far as I, I can see, about when, if and when the season will be able to resume. Although I'm he- he- seeing some things in the news that UEFA are kind of pressing for things to resume around July, August. Guys, what do you think is likely to happen in terms of this season? What are we going to see? Uh, oh, Ben, you go first. Go ahead, Ben. No, okay. First. <laughs> um, it's, 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 it's a big unknown, guys. It's a big unknown. And the problem is going to be whatever league decides to, to take a stance will probably set a precedent for others. Um, I know that Belgium are exploring the option of... Um, you know, of, uh, of sort of ending the league with the current standings and, and qualifying the, the, well, Bruges for the Champions League and then um, declaring them champions and then not doing any relegations, I think, and doing two promotions, having a bigger league next season. So the, the problem is that UEFA seems to be of the stance that if leagues do that, unilaterally decide that, 
they won't allow them to register teams for the Champions League. So uh, there's a lot of misinformation, a lot of rumours out there. But I think that in the interest of everybody, yeah, we need to finish the season. The, the problem is going to be when and what knock-on effects that has for the transfer market and players' contracts running out. And um, also, you know, I mean, it, it, it helps us, to be fair. Our players were looking pretty burned out, so some rest is probably doing them some good, but there'll be a lack of rhythm when, when the playing starts again. But it also has the potential to um, to skew the, the standings a bit because Lyon are going to get some key players back from injury. And although they're pretty far behind us, it could it could help them push for third place. So, yeah, it's it's a difficult situation, but I hope we find a way of finishing the league. Right. Um, can I go next? Um, By the way. Uh, well, we are on... In unparalleled times, I don't, the last time Ligue 1 was, well, the French First Division was postponed was the 1940s when the Second World War was uh, commencing and the Germans were badly bombing France. So we are in unparalleled times. My heart says, let's finish the season as it is. We finish second, you know, we got it. But that head says, we do that, we lose Champions League. Now, I know it's not popular with football fans anywhere there is a point maybe we should just play the last matches behind closed doors at maybe Clefontaine where they train the French team for the World Cup and the Euros uh, or international friendlies we play the last few games that are in a way uh, relevant to where the, the Champions League the Europa League and the relegation spots will and then we go on to August or possibly we have to start in September with possibly two more um, promoted teams so we have 22 team league we are in unprecedented times. I think we need to realise that there's a lot of bullshit going around. A lot of papers are saying, one paper saying this, one paper saying that. We need clarification because the players don't know when they're going to be out. The, the manager doesn't know when he's going to have to come back. The fans certainly don't know when what's going on. So it's ridiculous. They haven't, UEFA are hell-bent on playing games when there's this massive world pandemic. Have they not thought of possibly, you know, putting the games in their beloved beloved headquarters in Neon? And then we can play them, we can get this season out of the way, we can move on to 2021, and then we can get ready for the Euros. If they don't want to do that, that's fine. They can F off. They can F off for the Champions League. They can F off for the Europa League. If that's their mentality of putting players ahead, putting profits ahead of players' safety, manager's safety, club staff safety, that's fine. We won't go. I would rather be in the Champions League with a squad that has not been infected by this disease, they're pandering around to them. Just, they need to think, less profit, more of the fans, and more of the players who actually are at risk. It's ridiculous. Yeah, Hadi, have you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, he, he, he's completely right. Ed is, is completely right. Uh, you know, the players, the players' health has to go first, uh, and uh, you know, we have to make sure that the players are are healthy and are able to uh, to play the game without uh, any risks. And that's what's important. But what's what's really funny out there is that. You know, yeah, it's 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 been it's been ages. Um, um, uh, ben talked about uh, the last time was uh, you know during uh, the uh, the world wars um, that you know Ligue 1 was was stopped. Um, maybe we can you know 
take uh, take uh, take a second look at uh, at uh, at, the, at the football season and maybe try something new. Maybe not. Uh, maybe why uh, why not try uh, the um, uh, what uh, Jacques Henri Roche uh, proposed with the the goals from the middle of the pitch and uh, you know playoff series or, <laughs> or something completely. No, I'm joking, obviously. But you know what? It's if there's something to try right now for the LFP. Uh, I think now is the time. Whenever you know that whole situation is uh, is done and dusted, I think it it would be the moment right now to to, to try something new if they want to try something because. Um, you know, the season is already. We're not going to be able to finish the season, uh, you know, normally because I, I don't, I can't really, um, I can't really find a way of playing all the remaining games. There's still about ten games uh, to to play for each team. I think it's really too much, and the way it's going right now, I doubt it very much that you know the whole situation will be fixed by 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 July. So you know what, uh, they're going to have to find a way to to either. Finish the uh, you know uh, uh, freeze the standings as they are right now, or you know try something new to get the game to to finish the season in a in a new way, and that's 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 what I think. Okay, right. So I'm um, thinking about the options, right? The options are probably um, finish the season with the standings as they are now, or make the whole season void, or look at continuing the season at a later date, whether that's later in the summer or later in the year. Um, out of those three options, I think, unless you can think of any others, um, what do you think is, what's your preferred outcome? Um, and just very briefly, sorry. Guys, it's hard. I mean, current standings is fair. And, and for teams like us and Liverpool and, and teams where the leagues, I think where the leagues are, there is a, a certain separation. So where we, we're, for example, a few points clear, Liverpool are 20 odd points clear. I think it, it's fair and it, you know, it wouldn't be frowned upon that badly if, if leagues were frozen where there is um, a substantial lead for some teams. But for other leagues where it's tighter, maybe they come up with a playoff system between teams and whatever. But it's, um, I, I don't know. I mean, an option could be, I mean, if we start again later, when you think about it, I think, I can't remember who said this. I think it might have been AVB who actually said this. Is is this not good timing when you bear in mind that the, the Qatar World Cup in 2022 is going to be a winter World Cup? Is this not a, an opportunity to to change the, the football calendar for a few years and adapt and, and in the run-up to that World Cup and, and do what they do in South America and not play during the winter and play only during the summer months? Um, maybe that is an option and maybe that is a good solution because it, it, it works quite well. But it just throws into turmoil the whole transfer market um, it's, yeah, it, it's very difficult, but I don't, I don't think it would be that bad if we froze the league with current standings. I think that's the fair option. Right. Um, it's a bit like choosing what kind of disease would you like to be hit by, whether it be stomach virus, whether it be a brain tumor, whether it would be kidney failure. It, none of them are exactly things that I think. Yeah, I want that. Um, void the season is a definite no go. We cannot void the season. There's too many players, too many teams have worked their butts off at the moment. I mean, what what do we do? It's uh, like I said, the playoff system's a an idea, but I mean, what about teams that are not in contention for either relegation or the Europe, European spots? What do you do? You can't just say to them, you can't play, you're, you're irrelevant, because then it'll just be frowned upon. My, we're going to have to change the football calendar anyway for Qatar. 2022, like Ben said, 
I would suggest we play instead of pre-season games, we play the rest of the season out and then we get ready for August on a tight schedule, maybe two weeks behind. And then we may have two weeks a little bit later at the end of the season for this one. And then we get ready for the Euros. Because bearing in mind, that's a big elephant in the room, Euro 2021. And that's, UEFA have been fairly, have been fairly, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They've been fairly staunch and saying, look, we're having this tournament, we've put it back Yeah, And if they tell uh, the cities and nations and teams, we're not bothering, we'll cancel it. They'll be out raw. They'll be out raw. And I don't want the Euros to be cancelled. So for me, let's play the rest of the season, but let's play it when we're supposed to be having pre-season games. That's the way I'd do it. That's because you've got tickets to the U. That's because uh, you've got tickets to the Euros, Ed. That's why you like that. Yes, of course. <laughs> I have five games to the Euros. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm, I'm just. I'm, I'm relieved I didn't book my flights. Okay. I'm relieved I didn't. I'm relieved I didn't. I'm relieved I didn't book Budapest. Hadi, what about you? <laughs> um, yeah, you know what. Uh, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. No, no, we can't really void the season, and I completely agree. It's impossible. That it's not like we played ten games. We played twenty-eight games in the season. Like you know, m- most of the season have been played, and you know, it's it's unfair for the teams. And you know what? A lot of people are going to tell me, but you know what? You're a Marseille fan. You're second in the league, so that's why, of course, you don't want to void the season. But you know, I'm not talking about the Marseille fan. I'm talking about the Rennes fan. The Rennes fan or, or Rennes will be in, cha- in the Champions League. I'm talking about uh, you know teams like uh, Brest who would be uh, maintained in, in, in League One, and you know that's something that's 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 pretty good. You know what? So there's a lot of teams that gain by by really stopping uh, you know stopping the the, the and, and freezing the, the table as it is. So it's not because we're Marseille fans that we're we're thinking that way. Now of course it helps us, but still it it's it's irrelevant of uh, you know uh, who we are supporter of uh, now the the other thing is that you you still need to make sure and that's where i kind of agree with the with the um with the 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 wefa that um we still need to have a, some sort of finality to the season. And, you know, by freezing it, you know, unless we really tried, uh, you know, our best to finish, you know, the season, uh, we can't really, you know, you can't really say, you know what, the freezing, the the, the, the tables uh, are, are freezed and that's it. So we have to try something uh, whenever, you know, the situation is, is uh, you know, is, is better. Uh, we have to try something in order to finish that season. And I, th- I, I kind of like that playoff system, not, not really a playoff system like we do, uh, you know, in, in North America, but maybe, you know, a kind of playoff system like they do in Belgium usually, you know, where, where you divide the table in, in two or three, uh, where, you know, you have one a part of the table uh, that play, you know, the Champions League spot um, and and maybe and the title with, of course, some sort of uh, of uh, you know of uh, advantages uh, for uh, Paris Saint Germain and Marseille and stuff. Uh, you know, some kind of a way of playing, you know, of, of finishing the season in a way so that there's still some kind of excitement and so that, of course, we um, uh, we calm down, you know, the 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 the, uh, the broadcasters too because they have their 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 they're saying in this because they paid money in order to get to get games. So, you know, by by having some sort of, of playoffs uh, in, in League One, maybe I I think everybody will be content with you know that 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 scenario. In in my opinion, okay. Um, well, I think for me personally, I'm of the feeling that you can't void the season. I think that's totally unfair to the teams that you know that are, well for every team. The fact that they put in so much work. 
throughout the season to get to where they are. But I do think that you can't freeze the the standings as they are either because I feel that um, you know even if that suits us as OM fans because we're second place and then we get in the Champions League. But for other clubs, you know, if you were in that position and you were, um, say, in the relegation zone, you're third from bottom, but you're banking on a number of fixtures that are coming up at the end of the season, feeling that you, you've got winnable games coming up, and and you know, season and clubs are aware throughout the season that you know that they might drop points at certain stages of the season, and they'll pick them up at certain stages where they feel they've got easier fixtures. It just wouldn't be fair on some clubs to do that because some clubs would would end up being really badly affected by a decision like that. So I kind of think that we've got to be fair, and I think I feel like the only way to be fair with this is to either play the season out at a later date or behind closed doors um, personally I don't want to do it behind closed doors because I think for Marseille that would be awful for us to be to have to play say at the Stade Velodrome with no fans I feel like um, you know we, we benefit so much from our home fans um, playing at home that we would end up dropping a lot of points that we should otherwise be picking up easily so I think for us for me, the best option is, is just pushing the season back and maybe it falls into what you were saying, Ben, you know, what Vilas Boas was suggesting about just kind of rejigging the calendar um, for the next year or two and, and sort of adapting to that and playing it at a different, you know, a different time of the year, a different season. So, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. Um, okay, so I think just thinking about that... Um, sorry, well, sorry, just moving on from that, sorry, um, there was another topic that I wanted to discuss briefly and it was about TV rights. Um, so I've seen in the news over the last couple of weeks um, that some of the TV companies, Canal Plus, BN Sports, for example, are talking about refusing to play, pay clubs their TV money whilst the season is inactive. Um, this obviously would have has a massive impact on the finances of a club. Um, are you anxious about the finan- financial impact of um, losing your TV money on, say, Marseille right now? Uh, let, let, I, I'm less worried about us than I am about Bordeaux, Saint-Étienne and, and other clubs that seemingly are of a similar stature and, and similar size, to, not 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 budget wise, but in terms of history and stuff, and it, it's now come to light that they are nowhere near as financially sound as um, as, as it may seem, and and that's fair because TV revenue is a big part of lots of clubs' revenue. Um, however, it's it's become apparent that obviously when you lose the gate receipts and you lose people spending money in the stadium and stuff like that, and merchandise and you still have to continue paying the, the players, which is our biggest expenditure, and there's many other clubs' biggest expenditure. It's it is very worrying, and I, I understand the, the, the stance of um, broadcasters, but you know you could you could flip as as consumers. Don't we have fucking rights where we could turn around and say, well, if you're not broadcasting sports, why are we paying you? So, you know, if they do that, it, it sort of paves the way for loads of loads of um, of um, sort of legal battles that are going to go on for for years. It's just going to be a, a complete clusterfuck if they decide to withhold, well, to, to cancel payment. I think they, they've got a right to withhold it. Um, and to be fair, from our point of view, that the, the only good news that's come out of this is that financial fair play has been suspended for this season. So 
it gives us next year to try and balance the books a bit better. And it means that we may not have to sell some of our strongest players, which is a relief. But uh, yeah, it, it sort of... The, the, you, you understand TV broadcasters' stance, but at the same time, you know, they're all very happy to reap the profits and benefits and, and et cetera when things are going normal. And, and surely, you know, they're, they're profitable enough and they charge us enough to be able to, to keep afloat. So I, I think it's bullshit. I think one of the things, though, about that, though, is that for TV companies that they might feel that um, subscribers will cancel their subscriptions because they're not getting the content that they are normally paying for. So if um, they're not getting to see the football and then that's the reason why they pay for that subscription, then they'll cancel and those companies will then therefore lose a lot of it or they're, they're anticipating that they're going to lose a lot of income. Is I, that, think they're it... on, um, I think as a consumer, on a long-term contract and you sign for 12 months, don't you? I don't. I mean, I don't know either of those um, those um, I think with packages because I'm not signed up for either package. But yeah. just I, I, I thought that you know I was reading stuff kind of about and you know related to another other sports about disown and and and, and issues that they are having. People or the possibility that people might cancel subscriptions with them and some of the sports that they cover. So I assume that it was kind of a. Um, universal issue for um, those you know TV companies right now, like um, showing sports coverage. I think it's it's probably exacerbated in France because we're changing broadcasters, aren't we, next season? So Canal Plus and BN Sport are probably trying to milk whatever they can out of what is left. And yeah, you you can understand, but surely if, if consumers and, and customers are on rolling well, on on sort of long term contracts, then. They're not going to lose that much in in the short term, but yeah, they may lose next season when they're going to lose broadcast. They're going to lose consumers anyway because sports is switching to a new broadcaster. Sorry, league guys is switching to a new broadcaster. Okay, yeah. so what about you guys? Have you got any thoughts on that? Um, well, obviously, um, I've got the original article from the fourteenth uh, of August for the Keep. Um, it's only Media Pro and Beyond Sports who are doing coverage now, so I don't know why Canal just give the money and go. I understand they've got contracts, yada, yada, but they're leaving at the end of the year. What the hell are they going to get withhold? I mean, let's face it, right? They're leaving. Give the money to the clubs and bugger off. Why don't these TV companies, I understand they've got jobs, sorry, they've got staff, they've got bills to pay, but for the love of God, how do you think the consumer is? I mean, they're in just the same boat and they've got even less than these executives. And they're still saying, you pay us. It's like holding a gun to the consumer's head and then getting ready to pull the trigger. You know, it's it's. I think Canal are in the wrong for asking for it. I'm. I think Bian are probably going to be in the wrong as well. Uh, the new, the, before all this kicked off, there was a uh, new deal that was worth two billion to clubs. I believe it was on 19th of March. I'm not quite sure. It might be wrong, but I feel that. You know, we should give money to those clubs who do need it, like Bordeaux, like Saint-Cien, especially the small clubs like Brest and Amiens and Angers, who have got nothing. They haven't got a pot to piss in, if you get that express um, expression. sorry. So you pay the money, say to the subscribers, OK, you'll be charged, but you'll be charged half, so it won't be as damaging, or don't pay at all, don't pay at all until we get the sport back, or clubs to say sue canal as a oh the collective they sue canal and say we want our money back it's it's simple right if they don't want to give it 
as they don't want to do sort of stuff to help the clubs out. And if they're leaving anyway, I mean, Media Pro's got it pretty much a monopoly over league on coming in 2020 to 2024. Then I'm sorry, Canal got to pay up. You know, you either pay up or you shut up. And if Canal don't do it, then League On and the LFP need to sue. Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, the, you know, the, the broadcasters at Canal and, and BN, even BN, uh, are using this as a, just to create a, a means of pressure on, on you know, uh, on, on the Ligue 1 clubs, on the LFP, on, on everybody, because they want to get away with it and they want to be able to pay less. And, you know, of course, they're, they are affected as much as the clubs, for sure. But still, I think that they, they're, they're really trying to start, uh, you know, some sort of negotiation in order to back off of a deal that was already signed. And, of course, in order to, 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 to keep as much money as in their pocket as they can. And I, I, I think that at one point, you know, all the parties are going to be able to find a way uh, to reach an agreement and to find a way to, you know, uh, the broadcasters will have to play to pay a, a part of the of, of, uh, of the money to the clubs, but not all of the money, because, yes, of course, they are affected by not by not having that, 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 that those those games played. So at the end of the day, I'm pretty sure that they're going to find an agreement. It's just the beginning of the negotiation that's. Uh, Usually a bit, you know, meaner, let's say. So where, uh, you know, everybody's camping in, in that position and nobody wanted to, wants to really talk. But I, I, I really, I'm really sure that, you know, it's not in there. Um, it, it's not something that they want that, you know, the clubs uh, go bankrupt because, you know, the, the few years after they will not have anything uh, to to broadcast anymore. So, you know, they have to find an agreement because they don't have a choice. The TV, uh, the, 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 the Bean Sports and Canal, they have to have an agreement because maybe if Canal doesn't have the rights in the next year, maybe they're going to buy the rights from Media, from Media Pro. We've already seen it in the past. So they might find an agreement to still have some league uh, in the future. So, I'm sure they're going to find an agreement at one point. It's just going to take a few months before they really reach a deal, I think. Yeah, and it's just funny. I think the final note is they've put, the LFP have put a committee where they've put, I think, four club chairmen, and Ero is one of them. I don't know whose fucking idea that was because I can't imagine Ero being a very good negotiator. Um, <laughs> and then and then uh, the, other, the other glaring issue is that Nasser El-Khalafi is on that committee as well. And, He's technically the head of being sport. So there's a huge conflict of interest because he's he's obviously going to Canal and, and giving them a hard time. At the same time, being sport adopting the same stance. So it's, it's just very strange. Okay, right. So um, just thinking, connected to that, I'm just thinking about finances, you know, and the general state of um, the club, um, particularly in light of coronavirus and, you know, the impact of not playing, not filling venues, um, like the stadium, sorry, um, selling tickets, TV money. I saw the other day that Valentin Rangier saying that he'd happily take a pay cut to help support, you know, the club, paying other staff at the club, for example. And this is something that's been floating around, you know, across Europe, you know, about um, football players potentially taking salary cuts to so that clubs can keep other um, non-playing staff at the club um, during this difficult time. Um, do you think that's something that we're going to see across OM or across Ligue 1 more generally that players are going to start taking pay cuts? Uh, in the Premier League, I think the PFA came out earlier and what they're trying to do is get them to take 30% pay cuts. But 
I think it's classic. It's just classic bullshit from governments who are putting pressure on on sports players and sports stars to you know to to contribute some of their very very um, large and fortunate resources and income. But you know, at the same time, these governments are, fa- are fa- putting conditions that favour tax evasion. So clean up your own shop and stop pissing on the sports people is the, is the first thing. And then secondly, yes, they do own a lot of money, but they get taxed heavily, so that money still goes back into the system. And I'd, I'm, I'm, I'd rather question what the hell's being done by the system and with that tax money, rather than ask these people who, like all of us, get a living wage, um, probably a bit disproportionate for kicking a ball around. But, you know, it's, it's their right. And they've got, they've got very solid contracts as playing staff compared to other staff that probably have contracts like you and I do as individuals, which aren't as protected and, and aren't as solid. So it, if it if it happens, it's got to be the player's initiative because they cannot legally, I don't think they can be told that they have to do it. Right. Um, I mean, I think you made a good point there actually that about paying taxes and stuff and the wider impact of that. Um, I think um, probably, I mean, my personal feeling on that is then that the, the, the thing that needs to happen is that they don't take a salary cut, but that players then offer to to pay money back out from the salary. So after they paid tax on it, they, they, they then donate that money back towards, say, pay, covering, help covering the costs of other, you know, non-playing staff, for example, at clubs and so on. Um, I don't really want to dwell on that too much, so I'm going to move on. Um, but I'm going to direct, direct this question at the other two then, um, so, so that you guys get a chance to, to speak. Um, so i just seen, and this, again, this is related to finances, um, just I saw the other day there was an article about um, Frank McCourt's situation, his financial situation, and that he's um, I guess his financial stature has decreased recently. So some you know his sort of empires kind of lost a bit of money, um, and I just wondered whether there's the worry that he doesn't have the financial might that we once hoped he might have. Um, so and what what what's the kind of um, the domino effect on Marseille as a result, you know, if, if you know, his, generally his empire isn't doing so well, are we going to see him continue, like, not, well, be more um, reserved about investing in the future or even cutting his losses at the, from the club? Well, if you if you look back to the, when Tapi was in financial uh, trouble, uh, Marseille struggled and went down to League 2. McCourt's he hasn't. When you own a football club, you've got to realise what you're taking on. Especially if you want to get a top club and you make all these promises like, we're going to get the Champions League, yada, yada, yada. And when you have a massive wage bill, you have to pay it. So, unfortunately, I think McCourt will, however, have to sell bits of the club, 25, 40% to another investor who wants some money, who wants to invest in the club, which is fair. If he can't do it, and he, he's really in the shit and he can't run the web, then, sorry, you've got to go. No matter how good you've been, no matter how, how much promise you've got, you've said and all this, if you haven't got the money to run the club, sorry, you've got to go. You've got to go and we've got to go and get someone new. If McCourt, if, if it is true that McCourt's financial uh, might and power is on the downturn, then how much is it going to affect you? Bearing in mind, before this stuff all kicked off, we were on the verge of getting to the Champions League. And you'd have to invest a little bit more 
uh, to get in. But he also had to pay off the debts with the LFP and the UEFA for the financial fair play. So Frank McCourt can't pay the uh, pay the debts, and his business might is going down. Then I think the alarm bell should be going off, and there should be thought of maybe we need to sell this club to a new person or a new consultant. I mean, Newcastle have been taken over from what I've heard by the Saudi Arabians. So I can't see why a club like us can't be taken over. And if Frank McCourt can't do it, then it has to be done. It has to be done swift. Okay, Hadi, yeah, what about you? So. Yeah, there's been some rumours about uh, Saudi Arabians or maybe Dubai people uh, that wanted to take over the clubs uh, in, in the last few months. And you know maybe maybe my court is looking to some sort of a of a partnership with uh, you know with uh, another another party uh, to take over maybe 20 25 30 percent of, uh, of 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 Marseille and they, that could be that could be really good um, or maybe you know the, the that the, that rumor was true and someone wants, wanted to take a hundred percent of the of the business or 99 point something percent of the business because. Um, because they want to run it and all, so and that's why maybe it didn't work out, or maybe the rumor was completely fake. But yeah, I think that at one point you need to have, uh, and like uh, like uh, Ed said, uh, we need to 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 have uh, you know an owner that's able to pay uh, for, for 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 the bill for sure and pay the the, the debts. And you know, uh, right now McCourt, it, it it seems that he's starting to have. I'm not, I'm not going to say, you know. There's a lot of exaggeration too, okay, in in the articles that that I've read. You know, uh, of course he's not maybe a super rich, and uh, he's not uh, um, he doesn't have uh, you know millions and millions of dollars anymore. But I'm pretty sure that he's going to be able to to pay at least, if not the full bill, maybe a part of the bill. So a, a little bit of help will help out. And for sure, if in case we do qualify uh, in the Champions League uh, for next year, then you know everything will be will be a lot better from the financial standpoint. So, yeah, it's yeah, it's something to to, to that we're gonna have to to to, to watch uh, very closely because you know it's not only McCourt, it's not only Marseille, it's all the clubs that will need to find uh, financial solutions in order to continue uh, you know in the future because. You know, all the clubs are being affected uh, not only by the situation, but by you know uh, the, the the fact that you know Liga is not really working out well in in European competitions. Uh, we we didn't really talk about that, but that's something that really affected the financial uh, the final the financial situation of, of of a lot of clubs because they're not able to go far in European uh, competitions. So yeah, there's a lot of there's a, there's a, a lot of, of things that are happening from a financial standpoint, and you know, an agreement will have to be uh, to be uh, uh, to be found for sure. And Marseille, uh, Marseille will have to find a solution uh, also with Frank McCourt, who is having a bit of problems. Okay, right, yeah, some interesting points there. Um, so I said we would talk a little bit about transfers. Um, there's been a couple of rumours. I'm not going to spend too much time on them because, you know, we know that these transfer rumours are always floating around and they often don't mean too much. But just um, have a consideration of a couple of the key ones. So Chaleta Saar, recently, for example, he's been linked to, I think, Man City. Um, talk about quite, you know, quite big money move. Well, um, the interest in, in potentially putting in a big money offer for Chaleta Saar. I've read, I think, what, 35 to 40 million euros or something like that. Is that a deal that you think 
is could happen in the summer, and, and is it one that you would sanction? Um, well, if they come in with a big offer, yeah. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but surely any with the situation now, um, any player that that we have that that we receive an offer of of in excess of thirty five million, I think the board will be looking to to sell them. Yeah, yeah same boat, sure. really. All agreed then, Chaletta's yeah. up. Yeah. Okay. And what the other one that I'd read about was Bunasar, so I think he'd been he's been linked to Everton again, which he's been linked to Everton, I think, for quite a while. Um and I think it was just about the the, the amount was quite minimal, actually, eleven million euros. Um is that again, is that something that you would sanction or do you think that we should be holding out for more money for that for Bunasar? I think it would be a, it would be a good deal because you know <clears throat> Munasar is not is not you know it's it's someone that I think he's 27 if I'm not mistaken so you know what if there's a moment to, for him to go look elsewhere I I would sell Bunasar 28 now he's 28 uh, so I would sell Bunasar for 10 11 million uh, million euros so that, that that could be that could be a, a nice a nice thing for him for his career and for us of course uh, you know it, it it could be it could be a, a good thing and you know to have someone else uh, take take his place maybe a younger player that could be uh, the backup of uh, Hiroki Sakai, maybe uh, find a player, uh, maybe uh, in in, uh, in in France or in the lower leagues in France or even from uh, from academy uh, that that can be the backup for Hiroki Sakai. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say no to 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 a transfer of uh, Fubunasar, even if I, I really like the player. Oh, uh, in different times, I would hold out for about fifteen, but let's just take the money and run. That's that's all. I bet you're you're very happy about this rumor, aren't you, Steph? Yeah, I, I fucking hate <laughs> Bunasar, and I I know I go on about it like in the podcast all the time, but yeah, I just he just annoys me. I just I just don't think he's very good. He's just he's just a runner. He's just someone that can run up and down the pitch. He's got good pace, but I think he's very very limited. Um, so another rumor um, as well was Lopez, Maxime Lopez. He's really fallen out of favour this season. Sevilla, I believe, was the the club that are interested in looking. They're talking about quite small fees, you know, like eight million euros. I read the other day. There apparently there's been contact between the two clubs. That's been confirmed. Do you think we're going to lose Lopez this summer? And do you think that's we'll, we'll regret if we do move him on? He falls in the bracket of quite a few players that are out of contract the following summer. So it's an issue where, well, it would seem that the, we have no, made no movements to try and extend this contract so i would i would be very surprised if we didn't cash in on him um it's a shame because you want your your homegrown talent to do well but it's quite apparent now after three or four years in the in the in the, the, the senior squad that he's, he's no semi Nasri, he's not flamini he doesn't have that that potential for us to be an established first team player and i think that's you know, it's a shame, but if we get money for him and, and he does, and we don't want to extend his contract or he doesn't want to stay, then cash in. We have to. Okay, right. Any, anyone else get anything to add to that before we move on? Uh, I just uh, sorry, Stefan. I, I I don't really agree with this. I, I, I'm a I'm a guy that really loves uh, Maxim Lopez. Uh, uh, I know that he has uh, he he didn't really uh, you know evolve a lot as as a player, uh, but I think. Um, you know, being being you know from Marseille, being 22, being someone that 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 could still because he's only 22 years old, right? So he could still uh, uh, you know develop in, in, into into a nice player. Uh, but of course, before 
uh, everything that, that needs to be done right now is to sign him uh, for a new contract. Maybe maybe not a long-term contract for five or six years or three or four years, maybe a two-year contract, just to give him one last chance to let him know, you know what, there's a lot of interest for you. I'll give you one more year. And then, you know, if you if you improve, that's perfect. If not, you know what, at 23, then, you know, you'll, you'll have to go. But I think he deserves that, 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 that last chance because 22, he still has a bit of time ahead of him to, to improve. He it just has to show some signs of improvements, um, you know, physically uh, for sure. That's that's where he lacks, I think, uh, a lot, uh, you know, physically a, a, as a player. Mm, I appreciate your optimism, and I think that we all want Lopez to be good enough. But I, I guess, like at the end of the day, he, that's you know the key thing, isn't it? Is he's got to be at the level to play for this club, and he hasn't really showed it for for some time. Um, I mean, you think he's capable because we know that, you know, in his early months at the club, he looked like a pretty good young player. So um, I would say his level is dipped, uh, you know, even more so than saying that it's just not progressed. I'd say that his level is actually dipped. Um, so, yeah, maybe he can show something, you know, with another chance, perhaps. Who knows? But at the end of the day, he's got to be, he's got to show that he is good enough to be here, to stay here. Um, one last um, rumour worth discussing, and it was about potential arrival. And that was, I'd read a Sevilla player, actually, um, Ronnie Lopez, um, former Monaco player, attacking midfielder, Portuguese um, playing for Sevilla has not been doing so well, I think, out there in Spain. He's his name's popped up, um, been linked with Marseille. Is this a player actually that you would be interested in seeing arrive at the club in the summer? So what you're telling me is Sevilla are wanting our trash, and they're going to give the, the, us their trash. How convenient! Uh, no, I don't want him. And, uh, <laughs> That's harsh, man. Come on, like Ronnie Lopez is is a much better player than than uh, than than uh, Maxime Lopez, and uh, I'd I'd have him. I mean, if we get him in a part exchange and his wages aren't that high, he's a player who's who's won trophies. I mean, he's um you know he's played for Monaco. He's I think he's on the verge and on the edge of the Portuguese national squads. Uh, that would be, ex- be acceptable. That'd be acceptable if it's a part exchange and the wages are cut. That I will accept. Yeah, if we don't if we don't spend ridiculous money on him, I mean, I think he's a player that could could very well do well. He's got experience in Liga as well, so I, I I like him. I don't rate him, but I think he's got potential, and I, yeah, I'd like him because I think he's capable of, of providing certainly being a good option on the right wing for us. Exactly. Yeah, he, he's a good player, but he only had had one good year. Uh, you know, during his career, right? He only had one good year, and that was when he was in Monaco in 2017-2018. But the rest of the years, he was pretty average. Even in, in, in Lille, he was average. Yes, he had, uh, you know, one or two seasons where he was kind of okay, but he hasn't been, you know, great uh, as a player. So, yeah, he won't. he will not be a first-time regular, but... You know, he. I, I think we can do better. Maybe find someone, you know, younger. At you know, 
I don't know. Uh, I, I like I like what I've seen from Marseille, you know, in the past where we used to bring, you know, players from the lower leagues or, or we used to bring players from uh, from Africa. We, we tried a few things, uh, you know, a lot of them didn't work, but a lot of them did work. We, we talk about Tai Tai Wo, we, we talked about Fra André Franck Zamboanguisa, we talked about, uh, uh, you know, Mathieu Valbuena from the lower leagues. Uh, why don't we try the, 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 these these uh, these kinds of, of players right now, you know, and especially because we're not in a in a in a good in in a good place financially. So you know, going and bring uh, you know Ronnie Lopez. That's I, I think is going to cost a lot. You know, not only uh, you know um, transfer wise, but only but, but salary wise. I, I don't think that that that's that's the way I want to see Marseille go. Um, that's my opinion. You know, it's uh, that's what I think. Okay, fair enough. Um, I think my only worry about that is I'm not sure that the the current. Um, the current regime at the club, um, I've got the the knowledge really to go out and find those kind of players. It doesn't feel like that anyway. At least they don't seem to be willing willing to take those gambles. Um, okay, so I said that we would um, talk about um, a couple of more important matters um, today. So, so we've seen over the last couple of weeks um, the two very important figures in French football and at Marseille, two club legends. I guess you could say both passed away. So I thought we would try and... I know it's um, sad news and at the moment because the world is such a very unstable and anxious place that um, I don't really want to focus too much on the sadness but really just think about the, the great legacies that these guys have left behind and, and celebrate their achievements. Um, they're both former employees of the club so um, we'll talk about um, the first one which is former OM president Papa Duff who um, sadly died in, I think his hometown, um, was it Dakar in Senegal, this week after contracting coronavirus. Um, for those listeners who aren't familiar with Jouf, um, which most people will be, but depending on how old you are, I'll say a few, a few words about his background um, before we, we sort of start the discussion. So Jouf uh, was, um, was from Senegal, but he's had quite an important mark on Marseille as a club, but also as a city. Um, and as, I think as well, it's fair to say a wide, also a wider impact on French football and world football. He's, he moved to Marseille at the age, I think, about 18, and he worked as a journalist for a couple of newspapers, most notably Le Marseillaise, um, where apparently he you know, he was known that he was covering um, OM a lot throughout his work, and through that he kind of built relationships with the club and some of the players. Um, he later then went on to work as a player agent, notably representing a number of former OM players. So he represented guys like Basil Boley, I think Marcel Desai, um, Joseph-Antoine Bell, sorry, and Didier Drogba. Um, I think he was responsible for bringing Drogba, for example, to the club. Um, and all this sort of work he was doing with the players in the club, the city led him to, you know, he built this relationship with the club and eventually he became president um, between, I believe, sorry, I've not got it in front of me, but between 2006 and 2009. Um, and he helped sort of build a side that would, become a real solid unit and um, what which we hadn't seen for a number of years you know qualifying for the champions league every year um, and really laying the foundations for women's championship winning sides in 2010 um and he brought in you know top coaches like eric gerritz didier deschamps 
Um, and players like Jibril Sisi, I believe Frank Ribéry was one of his as well. Um, you later also went on to dabble in local politics in the city as well. Um, how do you think that um, GF will be remembered by OM fans? Yeah, for for me, yeah, for me, he's look, he's the best president we've had outside of Tapu because, but on on the sporting side, he was you know he was very consistent as you've said. We got Champions League nearly every year he was there. Um, his his transfer dealings were very smart. I mean, you know, beyond the players you've mentioned, he represented as an agent. He he also represented Samoretta and, and quite a few prominent African players. Um, so he was very well connected, very well respected. He just had that that presence, I think. And yeah, he he always did right by us. Um, I think he was very very consistent um, on the pitch. We had solid results. He he built a team of warriors, players like Lorik Sana and um, Abib Bay during those years, etc. Where we, we we had we had players who would actually sweat and bleed for the club back then. I think. Um, and then, more notably, I think it's just his work off the pitch um, as as chairman. I think when he came to the club, he was the sporting director um, initially. When Anigo was the manager, so this was this was two thousand and four when we went to the UEFA Cup final, and he had to break the news to to Drogba that we, you know, Chelsea had gone in with ridiculous money, and and the only one was okay to sell him. And you know, he he was the sporting director, and he said to him, "Didier, we we can't match the offer. You know, you've you've got to go." Um, but then, as you say, he, he rebuilt, he brought in players like Ribéry on a free transfer. So he had flair for that. But I remember him for, for two things mainly. And he came into to the club at a time where we were inconsistent and we, we were on the way up, but we needed solid leadership. And he provided that because he, he Lyon were dominating Ligue 1. He was the only chairman I, I can remember that actually stood up tall to, to Jean-Michel Olas at the time, who was running French football. And he, I think he, he notably had a feud with him when he tried to sign Ribéry from us and he, he told him that he was, he was sort of dreaming if he thought he could come in and, and destabilise the club under his leadership. And then the second notable event is he had the balls to, you know, to, to give the middle finger to the LFP when there was a, an imbroglio where we were supposed to get 2,000 tickets and there was supposed to be special security measures for 2,000 of our fans to go to, to, away to PSG. And the league didn't put the security in place. PSG didn't play ball. So he sent the reserves. And we got a, a you know, very, very famous nil-nil draw. Embarrassed PSG. And he was vindicated. So I, I just remember him for being a charismatic figure who did right by the fans, did right by the, the, the team's stature and history. And, you know, it's a shame. I, I, I would have liked maybe to have seen him come back to the club. Yeah, it was an but interesting... Interesting game that I remember that I remember seeing a very young Gary Bocali making his debut. I remember him and a few other players actually. Um, that I think Civili was the only senior player who played, wasn't he? Yeah. With yeah. Uh, with Jimenez at front, Jesus really? Christ, nice. he was a donkey. <laughs> yeah, he was good for Basel, though, wasn't he? <laughs> there was still a Delphine also that played in that game, and Andrea Luis, uh, two two players. There were most of the time injured and had played in that game, but uh, they were awful too. And at the club forever and ever, never seemed to leave. They just always seemed to be on the books. Exactly, exactly. They were just taking the money and, and not working well enough, I think. Um, what about you guys, what impact do you feel the GIF has made on the club? 
I think he's been he's been awesome. He's been awesome uh, for for Marseille, and you know, um, um, uh, Ben uh, talked about you know the two uh, the two things that he'll be remembered of, and you know, it, it's it's he, he's completely right. But he's also going to be remembered uh, for being a president that really knows how to talk, because every time he had to to make a statement, every time he had uh, to go into interview, and every time he had to uh, to say something interesting, he always used to find the right words to say. Uh, not only in front of the media, but also with the uh, with the uh, with the with the players, because a lot of players are uh, when he, when he died, a lot of players really expressed their gratitude uh, of uh, you know uh, knowing uh, Pap Juf, and they were really sad to see him go. So it's a play, it's 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 a president that was really really present and really good uh, had really good communication skills. And the other thing that's very important, uh, it's uh, it was the only. Uh, black uh, president in uh, in uh, in European uh, football uh, in, in for 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 a club for in in European football. So, you know, as of today, we're in 2020, and that's that's something that's like really, I think, sad to, to see that it's only there's only been one black president in 2020. So, you know what? It's he's he's one of the 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 the, the you know, one of the the the, uh, the presidents, one of the the people that will, uh, you know, leave the, leave a mark in the history books because uh, uh, he he's been awesome. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, Ed. And um, what about you? What sort of um, memories of Juice Walking Era stand out for you? Um, well, I've got to say, if you the, his record speaks for himself, the fact that Marseille has never won a league title since his departure just shows how good of a chairman he was. I'm sorry, President Tapp was, I mean, like Ben said, he stood up to the LFP, stood up to Ulasi. He was a man who had guts and something that we've missed at uh, Marseille. And he's, I think we look back at those times and I think you've run a very stable ship. I mean, okay, one league untitled may say, hang on a minute, that's not that great, but Think about it. We were in Champions League. He, he left Pre- just before that. Ed. Yeah, oh, he, he left, he, left before he, that. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. but he, set, he, he set, bought this show in and then he left. Yeah, he set up the team for that. My, my mistake. Yeah, yeah, that's up. true. Yeah, yeah. He, he set up the team. That 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 could be his legacy. Um, but it was a, it was a fairly stable club under his leadership. Champions League was frequent. Uh, got some good results as well when under his leadership. So he has a lot of. I think we should be looking back at those days and thinking. Why can't we be like that? Why can't we find another Dioth? Another diamond in the rough who came good. You know, he had the worst possible start selling the star in Drogba. But he came good. And I think that's what the legacy should be, that he has been the second best president of this club since Bernard Tapie left. And I think that's his, that should be his legacy, that he was the man who brought Owen back. And this club has a lot to appreciate, Papa Dioth. Okay, um, I I don't know about you guys, but I'm pretty sure um Jeff wasn't the um president at the time that Drogba was sold. I think he was the agent at Drogba at the time. Um, no, thought... he was he was the sporting director when was he came he? in. Yeah, he was he was the, he was our sporting director for almost two years. I'd, I'd forgotten about that as well, but he was. Okay, all oh, right, okay. Right, he was he was doing what Zubizarreta was doing. So, but yeah, he was he, still he, he was still working as an agent, wasn't he at the time as well? He was, yeah, uh, yeah. He, okay. he still continued working as an agent even when he was our president. He was still advising players. I think he started, he tried to sign. That's how he said he tried to sign. Yeah, him, that's true. He he was hell bent on 
giving a big finger to Real Madrid, who treated him poorly, and he, he wanted to go to Barcelona to prove a point. Okay, um, yeah, I think. But I, I was it, it was Christophe Boucher, maybe it was still the president at that time. I'm not sure. Um, anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, Boucher um, was. Yeah, Boucher was. Yep. So um, there was one other that we said we'd cover. So um, sadly, another left us this past week. It was um, Michel Hidalgo. Um, he passed away, although not not of coronavirus, thankfully. But like he's had a good life. You know, he was aged eighty seven. Um, Hidalgo, um, a former France national team manager, um, mo- mostly famous for coaching this France side that won Euro '84 and boasted players like Plat- Platini, Gires, Tigana, and F- Luis Fernandez in a midfield that was kind of like famed for its, you know, um, well for this you know special quartet they were called the Carré Magique they were nicknamed um, and. You know, they developed a playing style that was really, um, I guess, um, significant at that time. Like, journalists, it was they often dubbed it like this sort of champagne football because of the style of football they were playing. It was so attractive. And he, um, Hidalgo later went on to become technical director at Marseille, actually. So um, I'm not too sure what his actual role was. I think it was similar, probably sim- as close as what we can think of to what Zubi Zeretas is today, I imagine. Um, I'm not entirely sure. but he worked- Yes, he was. He yeah. was. Exactly um, he, that. He worked at the club between... I think for about five years, between 86 to 91, in an era where Bernard Tappy and him were building an OM side that would then challenge, you know, the top and dominate Ligue 1 and challenge the top of European football. Um, You know, this is is a side that at that time brought in a lot of quality players, and I mean, like, world-class players, um, you know, in in a sense that we've never seen since. So we're talking... Talking about you know guys like from that midfield and later in their careers, guys like Alain Gires, Jean Tigana, but also you know players like Jean Pierre Papin, Francesco Enzo Francescoli, you know that were real talents. Um, you know, as I said, it's difficult to know really what his role was. I find it quite hard to find a lot of information about his time at that at the club. Um, but I think it's probably fair to say that him and his na- his name is such you know and his influence. Would have cert- certainly his involvement would have been a major name to have associated with that project at the time, you know, for Marseille trying to assert themselves as a you know a major European club. How do you feel Hidalgo will be remembered at Marseille? Do you think he'll be remembered, you know, as a, a, a you know an, as a special part of our history? Probably oh, the, yeah, uh, he built that side. Yeah, go ahead, you go, you go. Uh, probably the. The grandfather of French football and probably the the second piece in the jigsaw puzzle for what was to be a glorious era in Marseille side. Um, you had Tappy first, and then you had Indigala. In it's the way he brought those players in. So much talent, you know. Papa and Francescoli, uh, Waddle was in his era as well, and you had Abdi Pele coming through, and Didier Deschamps. So he was the man who built the nucleus. For the 93 side, I think Michel Indigo will always be remembered as a great man, not just as a sporting director for Marseille, but also as uh, the French national man- team manager. Because bearing in mind, you know, 14 year- the French national team didn't win anything till 14 years later when they hosted the 98 World Cup. So I think Michel Indigo has 
has earned a good legacy. He will be remembered as one of the architects, along with Goffles, um, and you could say Franz Beckenbauer, although to a lesser extent, who took the club to the height that he has never reached again, which is European champions. So, I mean, Indigo probably wasn't that recognised and probably will never be by some people who don't look at it, probably don't look in deep about what he did because he left uh, in 91, which was the sadly the year that Marseille lost to Red Star. But Marseille fans have a lot to be thankful for because without him bringing in these players, there would be no 93 European Cup victory. There would be no uh, 26th of May celebration. There'd be no 1-0 win against the mighty AC Milan team, which before Ian Degala was building the same team, so was Balasconi with Milan, and Milan were the dominant side. If it weren't for him, and him and Tappi working well together, we would have never had that moment, and Milan would have probably won four or five more European Cups. So, I think there should be a statue built outside the Velodrome for Indy Gallo. I really do. I feel that he deserves it. And for the fact he built the side that did the unthinkable. So that's that's all i got to say on this one. Uh, I wish him... It's very sad news that uh, we've lost this great man and Pepe Dieu. Uh, I wish him... I wish them to rest in peace, the Pope for them. Yeah, you can. You, I, I completely agree. It would be a nice tribute to, to for Marseille to do what other clubs have done and, and have a statue of maybe him alongside Tapi outside the, the stadium, in some degree. I mean, I'm, again, touch wood, Tapi doesn't leave us in these difficult times or anytime soon because he's had health struggles. But yeah, they, they they were a partnership, as you say. And I've got nothing to add, really, Ed. You've summed it up perfectly. He was the architect of, of that 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 Champions League winning side. I just read read a bit earlier. I think the only anecdote I could, I found that really um, made me laugh was Tepi saying that he was his worst enemy at times and his best friend at the same time because he would never have done it before him and he actually um, you know Tepi paid a very heartwarming tribute to him last week but he, he sort of said he, uh, he'll he never forgive him for, for fucking him over on the um, on the Diego Maradona deal because we tried to sign yeah. Maradona and um, Hidalgo apparently went to Tepi and said you can't you can't go tapping at players behind their clubs' backs. You've got to go through the official channels and it, it ended up in, in not happening because Napoli did not want to play ball and it, that, Napoli then, on the back of that official approach, deployed a very big, um, no, it was a very big sort of uh, campaign to, to keep him at the club. So, yeah. You don't request one, do you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, well, you know, it's, we didn't lose that, to be fair. We, we still had a very good player come and join us. But yeah, it's... Uh, he, he was a great man in French football. He had a great influence on, on all the players that he, he brought to the clubs that he'd obviously managed prior to that. And without him, we would never have, have had that solid French core that then led to the emergence of other French talent like Deschamps that we brought in from Nantes and, and Desailly and Barthez and all those guys believing that they were in the right place to continue their career because they, they had a great man leading the club that would give them playing time, would would have influence on the managers and say, look, play the academy players and play some of these youngsters because they're, they're the future of the France team, not just Marseille. So, yeah, great, great man. French football legend. Um, yeah, nothing more to add. It's sad, but at least him and Duf are going together. Yeah, exactly. And he, 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 there's some one thing that, that we really tend to forget, that he loved Marseille. 
he really loved Marseille. He loved the, the team. He loved the city. And even his wife uh, said that he wants to be buried. Uh, he wanted to be buried in a, in a, in a Marseille shirt. Yeah, so, I'm, you glad, know, I'm glad shows... you mentioned this. Yeah, I was going to yeah. raise that. I thought that was funny. Just the exactly. thought of him and being buried in an OM tracksuit. <laughs> Exactly, and you know what? It shows how much he loved Marseille and how much uh, uh, you know Marseille loved him too. And you know he never played in Marseille because he was a player too. Right? He played with uh, with Reims, and he, they reached the uh, European final against Real Madrid uh, back in the fifties. Um, and, and he never played. He never really uh, wore a Marseille shirt, but he was. He was fr like from Marseille, like like I am, you know. So it's 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 something that's really. Um, Really sad to see him go, but uh, you know he, he's he's been a dominant figure in in uh, in the history of Olympique de Marseille. And uh, you know we you talked about the, the 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 players and the coaches that that he brought uh, during his tenure and his relationship with with Tapi. And you know it shows how much he he's still remembered. We're, we're talking about a guy that's been uh, you know in Marseille uh, with the with the club uh, more than twenty and twenty nine years ago. That's when he left Marseille. And as of today, we're still talking about what he did. So, you know, it shows a lot how much he, he, he yeah, he should have that statue uh, outside of the club, uh, of the Stade Velodrome, uh, because he's been a, he's been a dominant uh, uh, per person in, in, in the club's history. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually. You know, like this is someone who came to Marseille later in life. Um, you know, he wasn't from there. He hadn't played there, but he remained there and he, you know, he, in his final days, he passed away in the city, um, and he was clearly very passionate about the club. It had an impact on him, um, you know, as it does this club. You know, it's a really special club, so it's not really surprising. Um, I think, um, you know, just to finish up, like just I'll just say a couple of things. Like, um, I think one of the things I noticed doing a bit of research about him on the line, speaking speaking to my father actually as well. Um, is that his personality you know I've I, I seen a lot of people talking about his personality and just like his you know just being considered a you know a good dude a good warm like good guy um, throughout and um, you know and I think like I know that doesn't I guess that doesn't seem unusual but you know maybe sometimes in like you know when you don't always hear that so much when you're talking about these sort of kind of mythical sort of figures and things like sports and all that you know we tend to focus on their achievements and not so much about their personality um so yeah so no he was a really well liked guy it seems that everyone that worked with him you know just like Geoff as well you know seemed you know really really highly regarded and made an impact on people um i know like i was saying the other day like you know i've got my own sort of kind of connection with him in the sense that like um, and family of mine living in Marseille at the time and my aunt and uncle were, were actually good friends with Michelle Hidalgo at the time and when we were kids growing up and we we liked Marseille um, we were big fans of Jean-Pierre Papin and he helped us get this football like my uncle got this present for us that was this football signed by Jean-Pierre Papin which obviously we were absolutely you know were ecstatic about as children um, so I kind of have him to thank for that, um, and you know that sort of in, indirect sort of um, connection, um, because stuff like that as well really helps people like me as a kid. You know, like it helps fuel fuel my love for the club, and you know, I mean, I was already a, a fan of the club, but that stuff like that only makes it kind of seem more special. You know, when you're a kid, um, and you're you know you've got something like that from your favourite player. Um, 
That's a really, really cool story. Yeah, really the most, cool story. Well, the most fucked up thing about that is that I remember as a kid drawing all over that football with a felt pen in different colours, thinking I could make it look prettier, and my older brother just losing his shit with me and so angry that I'd done it and I guess I didn't really understand you know like the value or something like that as a kid but you know as as you do as you're a child isn't it but um so that football I don't have it anymore (laughs) um so yeah so um I think like with that we're probably went way over time tonight um we've been quite a long podcast but really good to get everyone back together um and to to talk about OM, I've really missed like listening to the podcast and stuff. So thanks, guys, for 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 joining the show tonight. Thank you, yeah, thank you. And, yeah, hopefully it all goes back to normal in in the next few weeks, but it's not looking likely, unfortunately. No, nah, but we I still hope need so to. We still, I'm, I'm, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> but we yeah, but we still need the season three. So, I mean, we still need the season three of the Marseille Let's keep it rolling. Well, I, I think that there's likely to be more news over the next sort of weeks or so. So I, I don't think, you know, that we'll have no podcasts until action resumes. I'm sure that we'll have some material come up over the coming weeks that we can get some more content out for people. You know, especially when we start sort of learning more about what's going to happen with the league and so on. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll. I mean, can't make any promises, but obviously we will try and get more content out there when we've got material to cover. Um, but yeah, thanks very much for taking part, guys, and thank you everyone for listening. Um, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe us on iTunes as well, and just share the podcast where you can. Try and get more people to to, to listen to us and hear about us. Um, thank you. Good night. <laughs>